This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Now to start us off this morning, uh, this week's joke was supplied by my niece Eva. So let's see how we get how we go. Why didn't Pharaoh approve the new flat-topped pyramid design? Because he couldn't see the point. Wow, that's the very action that I normally get, so <laughs> I think I'm going to take her on staff as my uh, joke writer. <laughs> okay, we're going to start with a little exercise. Who knows how this will go? And maybe at the end of the exercise, if you want to make your escape, Andrea, with your uh, crew. But first of all, I would like everybody to stand up. This is going to involve standing up and sitting down, standing up and sitting down. So if you're able to do that, join in. So everybody stand up. Make sure you're stood in front of your chair, okay? Because I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for the duration of the exercise. Okay. Now, I want you to sit down if you have never, ever in your life stolen anything. Not an Ikea pencil, not five minutes from your boss by leaving early or taking a long lunch, You've never missed something off your tax return or taken anything from the shops as a rebellious teenager. If you've never, ever, 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 ever done any of those things, you may sit down. You may also sit down if you have never, ever, ever in your life taken the Lord's name in vain or used it as a swear word. You may also sit down if you have never, ever, ever in your life stolen anything or taken the Lord's name in vain or told a story about someone or gossiped, broken a confidence by sharing a juicy secret just for prayer. You may also sit down if you have never, ever, ever in your life stolen anything, or taken the Lord's name in vain, or told a story, or gossiped, or been jealous of another person's house, or car, or family, or wealth, or relationships. You may never, ever, ever, if you've never, ever, ever in your whole life Stolen anything, take the Lord's name in vain, told a story, had to gossip, or imagined loving someone that you're not married to, you know what I mean, including in your hormonal teenage years, you're allowed to sit down. And finally, you may sit down if you have never, ever, 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 ever in your life told a lie, in which case you sit down, you probably should stand back up again. Now... Please open your eyes and look around and see the bunch of lying, stealing, gossiping, adulterous blasphemers that are part of your church family. Amen. Sit down. God loves you. Andrea, now's a good time for you guys to go if you want to. Here's the thing. Labels. We don't use those labels, do we? When we look at each other and go, ah, there's Mark, the liar. There's Steve, the old blasphemer. You're right. <laughs> we don't label each other with those things that we did yesterday. 
because that's not who we are today. The things that are done to us do not define who we are because of God's grace. I don't know who drew up this preaching plan, but today's message is a single verse. And it's about divorce and remarriage. This is what Luke says uh, in verse 18, where we've got to, Luke 16, it says this. Quoting the words of Jesus, he says, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. If you've been following our series as you walk through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, you might recall that this chapter 16 is a collection of things that Jesus said. And they're linked by a couple of themes. One is the love of money. And the other is the relationship, the tension between the letter of the law, which the Pharisees are really keen on, and the spirit of the law. What was God trying to achieve by this? But as I've been pondering this passage over the last few weeks, I think God said something else. He said, actually, this whole chapter is about faithfulness. This whole chapter is about faithfulness. It's about being faithful to the Lord and faithful to those who are around you. You remember that Sue tackled the parable of the dishonest manager, um, which is about a servant who is unfaithful to his master by currying favor from those people that owe his master's money. Jesus concludes that parable with this challenge from verse 10 of chapter 16. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either you hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. On the next verse. The Pharisees, who are lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, ridiculed Jesus. And Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. In other words, the Pharisees' love of money, Jesus is challenging them and said, Well, that's, you're being unfaithful to Yahweh because you love money more than you love God. And it's in the context of this that Luke records these words of Jesus about divorce and remarriage, framing it in the context of faithfulness or the lack of it, otherwise known as adultery. So in order to understand any Bible passage, we must always read it in its context. And the context of today's verse is a series of teachings from Jesus about faithfulness. Jesus uses divorce, which is caused by adultery, as an example of a type of unfaithfulness. But he's teaching about faithfulness. He's not teaching about divorce. Which is why some translations keep verse 18 with the previous section. They don't break it apart like it does in the ESV in the New King James, implying it's a separate thought or idea. So in other words, if you want to understand what Jesus wants to teach us about divorce and remarriage, things that are very common in today's society, inside and outside of the church family, if you want to understand what Jesus says about divorce, we need to read it, read about it in a passage where Jesus is teaching about divorce, not a passage when Jesus is teaching about faithfulness. And this is just an example that's used to make a point about something else. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 19 and another encounter between Jesus and his favorite friends, the Pharisees. 
So the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And when they said to him, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So on the face of it, you might say, oh, well, there's a very straightforward teaching about divorce, right? Mm, Well, sort of. You see, it might read like a question-answer session about divorce, but actually that's not the question the Pharisees were asking Jesus. The Pharisees were asking Jesus, whose team are you on? Let me explain why. It's all bound down to verse 3. The Pharisees came up to him and and tested him. Okay, The Pharisees are testing Jesus. They want to know something about his position. They said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Not is it lawful to divorce, full stop. Is it lawful to divorce your wife for this particular set of reasons? Which is really about a debate that goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. So let's head to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 goes like this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and if that latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her back again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. Well, that is one long sentence. Okay? And just kind of reading through it at, at the face of it, if we're honest, it's challenging to our hearts and our minds here in 19, uh, 2023. Because it's phrased in a way that reflects the patriarchy, the male dominance of the society of the time when it was written. And I think we need to carefully peer around that social context to try and see what God was really saying. And what is he saying today? And the funny thing is, as hard as it is for us to understand that long, complicated sentence in Deuteronomy, it was just as hard for the Pharisees to understand it the Jewish legal scholars and the experts of the law. It was equally as hard for them to understand it in Jesus' day as it is for us today. And would you be surprised to know that that one long sentence verse is the only command in the Old Testament that deals with the topic of divorce and remarriage? It's not something that God feels the need to talk about very much. But it is not clear in what it says Because, verse 1, I read it again. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, blah, 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 blah. So let's take a little hint from the Hebrew. 
like a peek from the Greek, but it's in Hebrew. That phrase, some indecency in her, what does that mean? Okay? So in Hebrew, that is arat dabar, which literally means a nakedness of a thing. If the husband finds a nakedness of a thing in his wife, what does a nakedness of a thing mean? I'm not sure. And here's the thing. All the Pharisees weren't sure either. And that is the purpose of their question to Jesus. They want to know, what does it mean, a nakedness of a thing? Because the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus into picking a side in a long-running argy-bargy that's going on between two factions of the Pharisaical sect. On the one hand, you have the conservative interpretation, which is the school of the Rabbi Shami, who took the view that only the most heinous offence Now, only adultery was a grounds for divorce. Okay. On the other hand, you had the liberal viewpoint of the school of Rabbi Hillel, who said any indiscretion was grounds for divorce, even being not physically attractive, being a bad cook, your bum looks big in that, that was good enough. And so you had these two camps, okay? the strict interpretation of the law, the liberal interpretation of the law, and for them, the question of what justifies divorce was the touch touch paper. It was the dog whistle that told you which camp you were in. Is it any reason, or is it only for divorce? So the Pharisees want to know, Jesus, which team are you on? Are you strict law or liberal law? Are you team Shami? Are you team Hillel? What's the acid test? So they asked Jesus, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Because if you say yes, we know you're on Team Hillel. You're on Team Liberal Interpretation of the Law. And if you say no, we know that you're on Team Shami and you're in Team Conservative, Strict Interpretation of the Law. So what does Jesus say? He doesn't answer yes or no. He says, I'm not playing your games. I know what you're not talking to me about divorce. You want me to take sides on your internal political Uh, shenanigans. Jesus can't be trapped into our petty politics and word games. And also what Jesus does, he steers them away from this focus of the letter of the law and says, look behind it to see the spirit of the law. What is God's heart in this situation? Because when you understand that, you understand how to apply or how to deal with situations that aren't covered in the letter of the law. In fact, Jesus says, To ask me, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason, is the wrong question. I don't accept the premise of your question. Why are you thinking that divorce is the answer? As he said in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them in the beginning, meaning God the Father, he made them male and female? Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast his wife, the two shall become one, and what God has joined together, let not man separate. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, said the Pharisees. Did you notice that the Bible said, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Moses told us to divorce our wives. Do you remember? This is what the Pharisees said. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, oh, no, he didn't. Moses did not command divorce. He permitted it as a concession, a less than ideal solution to a bad situation caused by the sin in the hearts of men. Jesus said, 
because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed, not commanded, he allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, and then Jesus kind of grounds it all up by the, the words that we quote at the beginning from Luke. He says, I say to you, if you div- anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, or marries another, commits adultery. And the, the New King James Version has a slightly different wording. It picks up a text that's found in many uh, ancient uh, manuscripts, which actually then makes what Ma- Matthew says mirror exactly what Luke says, which to say it completely, it says, I say to you this, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Right, so let me summarize. What we covered so far, we've been zooming all around the Bible. What Jesus is saying is, the original design for humanity is for one man and one woman to live together in a marriage that lasts a lifetime. That is God's good plan. But as a concession, to minimize the impact of sin, A marriage can be ended with divorce if one partner breaks the marriage covenant through adultery. It doesn't have to end that way. Reconciliation and forgiveness are better than divorce, if it is possible. But if it's not, divorce is an option. And what's God's heart in this situation? The point and purpose of divorce is to protect the innocent party. Let me say that again. The point and purpose of divorce is to protect the innocent party. And that's what verse 9 means. We break it down. What Jesus is saying is, if a man divorces his wife because he fancies someone else, then he's committing with adultery with the other woman if he goes with her after they've been divorced. But if a man divorces his wife because she was unfaithful and she ran off with someone else, he's released from the marriage bondage and then he's free to remarry. And Jesus says, if, if, if it was the wife who was unfaithful, so she's the one who causes the dissolution of the marriage, she's now not free to, to remarry because she'd be committing uh, adultery because she was the one who started it. But her husband is, would be free. That's kind of what that way it works. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying is the injured party is not trapped in the marriage. If reconciliation is not possible, they are released through divorce, which is there to protect the innocent party. But the partner who caused the problem, if you want to put it like that, the one who was unfaithful or married, they don't get a free pass to have their cake and eat it. They don't get to divorce their wife and then be free to marry their bit on the side. Yeah? It's the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, which Jesus wants people to embrace. So the debate about a valid and invalid reason to divorce is not, Jesus is saying, this discussion you're having with me, Pharisees, is not about godly people trying to understand the heart of God and please him by following his commands. You're really just having a debate amongst flawed humans looking for a legal loophole to have your cake and eat it. And I'm not going to get involved in that. Which is why any debate which is about how much can I get away with under the letter of the law is kind of missing the point. Why we do something, why we do something is always much more important than what we do. Or to put it another way, the same act can be sin for one person and not sin for another person because of the heart motivation that caused them to take, perform the act in the first place. Jesus sums it all up 
in Matthew 22 when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So as we try and apply the teachings of Jesus to our messy society today, we can look to the spirit of the law to understand how to apply it to situations which aren't specifically mentioned in the Bible. For example, what about uh, the wife who doesn't feel safe in her own home? Or doesn't feel that her children are safe in her own home? Is that grounds for divorcing her husband? What about the wife who just gets up one day and walks out? Not because she's involved with someone else, but just goes, don't love you anymore. I'm leaving. I'm told us off. Remember, divorce is there to protect the innocent party not a license for the naughty party, if you like, to get what they want in the end. So my reading of Scripture and, and trying to discern the heart of God on this is that divorce is there as an escape of last resort, whether you're a victim of abuse or abandonment or adultery. And the innocent party is free to remarry. And Paul writes about this in Corinthians. I won't go into detail now, but he talks about that the innocent party, the one who's been abandoned, they're not under bondage to their marriage vows anymore because of what some other person has done. If, if the covenant has been broken through unfaithfulness, and I think that means unfaithfulness to any of the marriage vows that you take, not just the one about forsaking all others, but all, the, all of them, then the innocent partner, partner is free to choose to exit if there is no other options for them. So I think God abhors unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness towards him. He talks about that a lot. You know, the, the imagery between God and his people, so often is portrayed as a marriage, isn't it? Because it's about that being faithful to each other. He wants Israel to be faithful to him. And he wants us to be faithful to God. He wants us to be faithful to each other. And God's heart is always towards the innocent victim. I'll uh, Finish with a quote from Malachi as the worship team come and get ready. Malachi 2 says this. He says, Here's another thing you do, says God to the prophet. He says, You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. And you cry out, Why does the Lord accept my worship? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained faithful, faith, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Isn't that interesting? God is saying, why is the worship of the nation of Israel failing to connect with heaven? And God says, because you're all being unfaithful, because of the epidemic of unfaithfulness and divorce that was going on in the nation at the time. This is the message of Luke chapter 16, I think. God is calling us to be faithful. Faithful to our employers, 
faithful to our spouses and faithful to God. You know, God's mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great enough to cover all of our unfaithfulness. So as we close in worship, I want you to take a moment if you need to, to confess to God where you've realized there's been unfaithfulness in your heart and to receive his forgiveness. If you have been living under a label of condemnation that you put upon yourself or someone put upon you because you were divorced by an unfaithful partner or had to escape your marriage to protect yourself or your children, hear the word of the Lord today that you are not judged or condemned. The only label that you live under is beloved child of God. Perhaps you were the one who was unfaithful to your spouse. That marriage ended. But at this point in history, there's nothing you can do about it. Maybe they remarried, you remarried. We do not have a DeLorean. We cannot go back in time and fix what has happened. Any more than a thief can go back in time and put the stolen thing back on the shelf in Tesco's, or the liar can go back in time and unsay the words that they said. And what's done is done, and we all... We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our Father forgives a repentant heart no matter what you did. And if you are a Christian, your Father has already forgiven you for everything you ever did. And if you're not giving your heart to Jesus yet, you can receive that forgiveness today. And we're going to pray about that in a second. You know, I think the, the church has not always dealt sensitively with this situation of people who have been divorced or remarried and part of it I think is that this tendency I've noticed in the church is that we condemn people for the sins that we're not tempted or able to commit ourselves maybe you're listening to this word today and you realise that you are in the middle of a situation that you yourself have caused that could end in divorce unless you change something Maybe you've let your heart be turned to another. Perhaps you're breaking your marriage vows through unfaithfulness to your spouse in some way. Maybe you're being unfaithful to the Lord in some area of your life. But you know that right now, right now, you can turn that around. You can stop what you're doing and change the course that you're on. The Bible calls that repentance. The power of God is here today to free you from that Addiction, let's pray. So we need to take a moment to imagine the throne room of heaven. Father God is sat upon it. Jesus is stood beside him. There are a million angels filling the room, singing the praises of God. And the Father and Jesus are looking at you, and they are smiling because you are loved more than you know. So as I pray, just echo these words in your heart and in your mind and make them your own by saying amen at the end, which means I agree. Heavenly Father, lover of my soul, for all the times that I have been unfaithful, I am sorry. For all those I have hurt, I pray that you would bring healing. From the lies that I've believed about myself, set me free. I declare that Jesus died for my sins. You raised him from the dead and that I am forgiven. Set me free from all the unhealthy ties that bind. And I thank you that you 
have given me the strength to resist temptation in all of its forms. In Jesus' name, amen.